as we continue to talk about money. If you weren't here last week, uh, we started uh, what looks like going to be a two-week series on money, so I'll finish up today, and uh, that's it. Then I'm tired of talking about money, we'll talk about something else. All right? Anyway, uh, we want to continue. If you remember, where we left off last week, we said that God is generous, but there are some principles that we need to participate in in order to access His generosity. Um, and we, we just talked about one. There'll be three by the time we get done. The first one we talked about was a work ethic, and we talked about that last week. So if you missed that, uh, go you know listen to that. If you're too lazy to listen to it, uh, you probably really need to. Go listen to it. Um, all right? So, moving right along. And our second principle for accessing God's generosity is, believe it or not, generosity. Now, uh, let me tell you right up front a couple things. When I'm talking about generosity, I'm not just talking about giving to the church or giving to tax-exempt organizations. Generosity also includes you know, just helping your neighbor, giving something to the person next to you, uh, giving of your time, giving of your resources, um, feeding me lunch, stuff like that. Okay? So, uh, let's not try and just limit this to church. Generosity is generosity wherever it exists. And it is a principle that we need to embrace if we're going to access God's generosity. And so, we're going to start by talking about the tithe, because you can't talk about money at church without talking about the tithe. You can't skip the most favorite ever verse about money, Malachi 3, right? So we'll hit that. But in case you're right now in your head going, oh dear God, I know about this. I'm just going to tune out until it gets to something more interesting. I want to warn you that I may not reach the conclusions you think I'm going to reach. So please pay attention. It may be different than you expect, okay? So uh, let's start with an understanding of the tithe because this is our uh, uh, kind of a launching point for us here. Um, the tithe clearly in the Bible is God's portion. That doesn't mean uh, you, uh, all the money is yours under the tithe. And uh, then you take some of it and give it to God. That means a tenth of it was God's even when you got it. It was never yours. It was always his portion. It's very clear in Leviticus 27, verses 30 and 32. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be Holy to the Lord. So it was important to understand that the tithe actually belonged to God. You didn't really have any discretion about whether or not you were going to give that to God. That was His, and you did something else with it at your own peril, which brings us to Malachi chapter 3, right? All right, let's read this. Hang in there. Uh, it'll get more interesting in a minute. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. So again, God says, it's my money, and you didn't put it where it was supposed to go, so you stole money from me. Um, how many of you, without me reading anything else, are thinking it's a bad thing to steal money from God? 
good. You'd be right. And so he goes on and he says, you were cursed with a curse for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. The whole nation is cursed because they weren't bringing the tithes and offerings into the storehouse. Uh, so we see a link here between blessing and tithing, right? That, or, or between robbing God and being cursed. Now let's go on. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. He's actually saying, test me, see if this works. Uh, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. That sounds like a really big blessing, doesn't it? You'll have to have a bigger house for the blessing I had planned. What are God's intentions towards Israel? Blessing. blessing. Is he enjoying cursing them? No. no. You understand this. So we need to get the heart of this thing more so even than just the specifics. So he says, uh, I will pour out a blessing so that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. You know who the devourer is? The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his job. Uh, and if God rebukes him, he can't do his job against you. That's a good thing. These are not hard concepts. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit uh, for you in the field. In other words, you won't have a lot of stuff destroyed and wasted and all that. This is, you never know where these verses are going to come in handy. Um, I remember a long time ago, I was driving a 1983 Honda Civic. Yeah. And I was getting up, ready to go over the causeway, and it started sputtering, you know, like it was getting ready to die. And I'm thinking about pulling over, and this thought crossed my mind. And I, I went, wait a minute, I'm tithing, I'm giving. And I, I said out loud in my car, I said, look, I'm giving. I said, I rebuke the devourer in the name of Jesus. And my car went, brrrm, and went, more problem. Now, that has not worked since that 1983... <laughs> So I don't know if, you know, that was the only time it was the devil and all the other times it was just my car. But uh, anyway, I thought that was fun. So he will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that, you know, uh, things the devil wants to steal, he can't steal from you. All right? Uh, you guys still try it. Let me know if it works next time your car does that. Uh, and then he says, Lord, uh, and all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So, again, uh, this is probably the first verse everyone goes to on giving, and we need to understand more than just the details of the tithe. We need to understand the intentionality here, what's going on. Uh, the first thing I want you to see was the tithe was more about a national witness than individual prosperity. Notice the whole nation was cursed. It was probably a few guys that were going, dang, Nabbit, I'm tithing, and you guys are screwing this whole thing up, and I'm cursed, Right? That's annoying, isn't it? When you live in a nation where God's dealing with the nation and you're doing things right, isn't that annoying? <laughs> and yet God's dealing with that nation. And so that's what was going on here. It was uh, about a national witness. And I love at the end, he says, all nations will call you blessed. Here's the intention here. God's going, look, I need you to tithe so that I can bless you. I want you to be visibly blessed. I want the nations to look at you and go, what do they got that we don't got? And figure out it's me, right? That's God's intention. But he's going, I can't do it unless you honor me. 
because then they won't know why you're being blessed, right? And so his intention is more about a national witness than just everybody, you know, having enough chickens and sheep and stuff. Now, the other thing is, what I want you to see, is the title is a lot more about faith than about finances. Does God need money? When God needs money, he sends Peter fishing. Right? In heaven, they use gold to pave streets. He does not need your money. What's he after? He's after our faith. All right? That's why he says, try me in this. See if this won't work. See if you don't trust me. See if you don't have more by giving away 10% than by keeping it all. Right? So he's looking for them to be a people of faith. He's not really concerned about the money. You need to understand that. God's not really concerned about the money. He has plenty. He can make it anytime he wants. Right? And the third one, which I think is the most important one, the tithe was more about honor than finances. It was about honoring God. He wanted Israel to be visibly honoring God so that they were blessed. The nations of the earth would see why they were blessed, because they were honoring the one true God, right? Now, the places we see this, just to show you, the tithe, uh, which we're going to talk about in a minute, doesn't start with the law, even though it was clearly in the law. They were supposed to tithe according to the law of Moses. It starts way back in Genesis 14 with Abraham, right? Abraham has gone out as these five kings have fought these four kings, and Lot just happened to live where them four kings lived. And so they won, and they took a lot of plunder, and in that plunder was Lot, who was uh, uh, Abraham's nephew. And so Abraham took his 300 guys and went and beat them five kings and took all the plunder back and brought Lot home. And on the way home, uh, the king of Salem, Melchizedek, comes out to meet him. And uh, at, this is the first place we see a tithe. Abraham gives a tenth of all that plunder to the king of Melchizedek. The king of Melchizedek came out to bless him, and he gave a tithe. Now, if you, uh, and this is an interesting king, if you read in Hebrews 7, I'm not going to read these passages, I'm just paraphrasing for you for the sake of time. If you read in Hebrews 7, first 10 verses are all about this king of Melchizedek and how interesting he is, how his name translates king of peace and king of righteousness, and how he has no... Uh, line, that we don't know where he came from or where he's gone, and how Jesus is a, a, in the order, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, and how he was made like unto the Son of God. So he is either a type of Jesus or probably literally Jesus. Uh, we don't know for sure. Um, but, and we see that Abraham paid a tithe to him. This was, and it talks about how clearly uh, the lesser is blessed by the greater, that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham, and he blessed him. And so Abraham was honoring him with the tithe. It's about honor, right? In Malachi chapter 1, he says, hey, you guys honor your parents. You call me father. Where's my honor? And they go, what do you mean? He goes, uh, well, you're giving me lame offerings. You're giving me your, your ugly sheep and your, your, yeah, those guys, and your, your blemished, you know, your your." You're not doing it for honor. You're doing it out of the minimum you have to do to get by. And that wasn't going to work for God. Where's my honor? 
right? I love in Habakkuk, I'm sorry, in Haggai chapter 1. Now, uh, Haggai is the prophet uh, as Israel is returning to the promised land after the 70 years of captivity. And in the first chapter of Haggai, here's how it goes. And again, it's about honor. Uh, he goes, hey, uh, the prophets are saying it's not time to build the Lord's house. And God says, you know what? I notice you guys are living in really nice houses. And my house is in disrepair. He goes, by the way, have you noticed something? Have you noticed that you plant a lot and you harvest little? That you, uh, you put money in your pocket and, and you find out you have holes in your pocket and it's gone? That you uh, make food and you don't have enough to eat? Have you noticed you're not being blessed? Yeah, there's a connection there, guys. Go build my house. That's how Haggai starts. What's it about? It's about honor. It's not about just paying the tithe and getting taken care of. It's about honor. It's about faith. And we have to get that this whole thing is more about faith and honor than money. Faith towards God and honoring God. We have to get that because if we don't, you won't be able to handle where I'm going next. All right, so here's where it gets interesting. We move to the New Testament, and we find that the tithe is barely even mentioned. It's like mentioned three times. And when it is mentioned, it's mentioned in the context of how the Pharisees should have tithed without leaving the other undone. Or uh, a young priest saying, I pay all my tithes. And, or uh, it's a reference back to Melchizedek in Hebrews 7. There is no New Testament reference telling us to tithe. Dun, dun, dun. We read in Galatians, the entire book pretty much, that we're not under the law, we're under faith. Tithe is the law. So we, are you ready for this, are not required to tithe in the New Testament. I just, I'm just washing faces, this is fun. Now you might think you're getting off easy, but you're not. Near as I can tell, I can't find anywhere that I can tell you you have to tithe, that it's required. All right? Be free. You're not required to tithe. Now, we do still have those principles of faith and honor going on. So, here's the thing. Um, we talked about how the tithe predates the law, and this has sometimes been used in an argument for why the tithe is still in play, because Abraham tithed way before Moses, so yeah, it's in the law, but it predates the law. And that's true. The tithe does predate the law. You know what else predates the law? Circumcision. Abraham had to do that. Do we require that anymore? No. Now, that was an emphatic deep no. Now, let me just run something by you so that you get this. Uh, so the principle that since it Predated the law, it's still required. I can't, I can't say that. If I can't say it's valid for everything, I can't say it's valid for the tithe, right? So I can't find any way I can require you guys to tithe. So there you have it. Now, here's the thing, though. Circumcision didn't go away. It got replaced with something. What gets circumcised now? That's right, our hearts. It's very clear. Uh, the verse in Colossians uh, where it talks about how uh, the circumcision of our hearts is really 
uh, the subduing of our desires of our flesh to the intentions of God. And let me ask you this. Which one's a greater requirement? Which one's harder? If I say, guys, uh, you have to have some foreskin snipped off, and you're going to, you know, it's going to be painful for a couple days, but then you'll heal up, you'll be all good, go about your business, do whatever you want, or spend the rest of your life bringing your flesh into submission to the holiness of Christ. Yeah, if, if given the choice, <laughs> which one's harder? You understand what's going on? The Old Testament, uh, I'm sorry, the New Testament didn't make things easier. So just because you're not under the tide doesn't mean it got easier. Now, we see this, uh, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we see actions getting turned to heart issues, right? Uh, you heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. Dang it. I was doing pretty good on the not murder thing until you changed it to a heart issue. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Awesome, haven't committed adultery. But I say to you that if you look on a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Dang it, that's all I did in college. <laughs> right? Went from an obedience issue to a heart issue. It's almost like he's expecting us to grow up and deal with our hearts. So, what does that mean for giving? We are under a better covenant than the law and the old covenant, right? Better covenant with the same, if not greater, requirements of faith and honor. Faith towards God and honoring God. And so, we've moved from the law of the tithe to the law of sowing and reaping, or in other words, the law of generosity. Be generous. So, right? Let's make sure we understand this. We'll be looking largely at New Testament now. The law of the tithe to the law of sowing and reaping. It's pretty simple to see here. Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. This is God speaking. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over Will it be put into your bosom? You get the idea of God's intention? How generous God is? For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. You get to hand God the blessing measure. Right? Based on your generosity. Not just here. Not just at church. Everywhere. With your time and your resources and all that stuff. 2 Corinthians 9, 5-13. Really want to take our time with this verse, make sure we get all the rich things that are in here, okay? Paul is talking to the Corinthians about an offering they were planning on taking up for him. He says, therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Did you hear that? God really wants you to tithe. You are obligated to bring 10%, put it in that plate. Is that the New Testament spirit? No, it isn't. What does God want? He wants you to be generous. He wants you to get it in your heart, not just follow the rules. Amen? And that generosity comes out of some of the things we learned last week about God as our provider. 
and he will take care of us, and he will abundantly supply, right? And so he's saying, I want your gift to be a matter of generosity, not a grudging obligation. But this I say, and now he gets into the law of sowing and reaping. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, right? So, you know, people ask, do you want to you know, should I, I, do, I want to tithe. Do I tithe off the gross or the net? I go, you want, to, you want to reap off the gross or the net? I don't care. You understand, it's not about that. It's about sowing and reaping. And so he says, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. There it is again. He doesn't want you to give him because you have to. He wants you to give him because you want to. Um. For God loves a cheerful giver. So that should be the happiest part of, you know, the service when we're all getting our money out, right? And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Let me retranslate that. God is saying, uh, or Paul is saying here, look, if you'll sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Let me tell you what God's able to do. God's able to make sure you have all sufficiency for all things. In other words, he's able to make sure you have enough to pay all your bills and send your kids to college and stuff like that. And an abundance for every good work. And he'll make sure you have some extra so that you can be a blessing to others, so that you can continue to be generous. God's able to do that. This is the faith part. And that's what we have to decide. Are we going to sow bountifully or sparingly based on our faith? Amen? And so he says, as it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Let me unpack that a little. He gives us two things. He gives us seed and bread, right? So, uh, or you make some of your seed into bread. Now what happens if you eat all of your bread and all of your seed. Yeah, you get no crops next year. You're done, right? Does your bread get multiplied? What gets multiplied? What you sow. Very clear, isn't it? Now, uh, of course, you can go to where Jesus was feeding the 5,000. He multiplied the bread. So, yes, you can do that. But the point of this passage is, he gives you seed to sow and bread for food, and what you sow gets multiplied. So if you want multiplication, you got to sow something. You got to put some seed in the ground if you want more plants. Otherwise, you eat all your bread and you're done, and then you have to go to you know, the food pantry and get more bread, right? Everybody understand the principles involved here? These are not that hard. So here's the thing. You are not required to tithe. I encourage tithing as a starting point in a better covenant because I cannot imagine God made the new covenant uh, more rigorous in every area except finances. So I figure 10% in the old covenant, that's probably a good starting point. Just a starting point. Now, let me give you a couple qualifiers in case you're worried right now that I'm fixing to take up an offering. Um, 
I am not going to worry about whether or not you tithe. Uh, I have read that as an overseer, I'm not supposed to treat you differently based on whether you give or don't give, right? So you know what I do? I try not to pay attention to it. Caroline does the uh, contribution reports. Now, I, I, I see checks every now and again. I see what comes through PayPal. But for the most part, I'm trying to ignore whether or not you tithe because I don't want to care because I don't want to treat you any differently. So tithe or don't tithe, I probably won't know, and I don't care. I do care in the sense of I want you to be blessed. I don't care in the sense of church on the rock. I, uh, I think everyone should do their part, but I'm really not looking for you to take care of church on the rock. I'm looking for Jesus to take care of church on the rock. And, uh, and I'm just going to teach you the word, and you and Jesus work it out. Also, if you doubt my motives and you're afraid I'm just trying to get your money, go tithe somewhere else. Don't care. I'll, I'll recommend other good churches that I like. Or... Uh, missionaries. Don't, I'm concerned about the principles involved, and so I just want to give you those qualifiers, so uh, don't blame me, all right? You do what you want with your money, between you and God. Now, that being said, uh, I think it's a good starting point. Now, just keep in mind, we could set other standards. There is a New Testament standard in Acts chapter 4, Verses 32 through 37 it says they had everything in common. They sold their houses and their lands. They took it all and laid it at the apostles' feet. We could start there. That's a New Testament standard. Right? It's right there. Acts 4. Maybe you're thinking, ah, they were getting carried away. They probably were. They were very excited about receiving the Holy Spirit and all of the things in the New Covenant, and they probably did. They got carried away and said, let's just give it all up and wait for Jesus to come. Now, that only lasted for a few years. And uh, in the same way the tithe is not required, that, by the way, was not required. Not required. No one made them do that. They just did that. They were just that excited about Jesus. They just sold everything and gave it to the apostles. They were, they were just excited about the church. Now, we see it was not required in the very next chapter, in Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira get killed, right? <laughs> they did not get killed because they didn't give all the money. They got killed because they lied. Peter says very clearly, hey, when the house, you know, the house was yours, you didn't have to sell it. And when you sold it and you had the money, you didn't have to give us all the money. You could have given 10%. Could have given, could have done 50-50. It was, the money was in your hands to do whatever you want to do with he said, but you lied to the Holy Spirit, and now you're, now you're dead, right? So it was, it, was, it was the pretense, it was the lying to the Holy Spirit. It was the, it was the putting on a show thing that, that got them in trouble, not the not giving the money. Peter made it very clear, you don't have to sell your house and give us money if you don't want to, all right? So neither of those standards are required. Let me see... If we can get this, this is the important part. If we can get this of what's going on. Because we're talking about the difference between the tithe and the law and the New Testament and sowing and reaping and generosity. So let's look at Galatians where it talks about the law versus us now walking by faith. In Galatians 3, verses 23 through 26, I want to read this because Paul paints a picture here that explains a lot about the purpose of the law and how the New Testament has changed that, how the New and Better Covenant 
has changed that. He says this. He says, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. The law was restraining us in some way, okay? We were kept under guard by the law. I'll just put it in here. It was because we were immature and didn't know what we were doing, and this was all we could handle. Kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. That word tutor there uh, literally means one who takes by the hand, like a little school child. The law was the one who takes the little school child by the hand and takes him where he needs to go and says, here, put those up, now go do this, now go do that, now we're going to learn math, blah, 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 right? So, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So we start out with the law being taken by the hand as little kids, and we end up as sons, fully sons of God, having grown up, not needing a tutor anymore. So what he's describing here is a process where we grow up into greater responsibility. Now, let me apply this to money and see if you get it. So let's say you have a 10-year-old at your house, and you go to your 10-year-old, and you go, hey, you did all your chores this week. Here's your allowance. It's 10 bucks because I want to make the math really easy. So I've given you a five and five ones so that you can tithe. Now, take this $1 10-year-old son and put this in your pocket. That's not yours. That's God's. When you go to children's church, you need to put that in the offering. But the other nine, you can do with whatever you want. Those are yours. You earn those from doing your chores. That's how we explain that to a 10-year-old. He goes and he puts a dollar in. The little kid next to him goes, why are you putting a dollar in there? You could buy something with that. I don't know. Dad told me that that's God's. That's all I know. I'm just being taken by the hand, right? Now, that same little kid years later grows up. He's a young man now. And Dad says, I want you to join the father's business. I want you to join our business. We're going to the bank. I'm putting you on the account. You're going to be a signer. Here's a debit card for the business. You can buy things. You can do business. You can do investments. I've trained you. You're part of the family business now. You can spend money. You can make money. Here we go, right? Now, maybe that guy's excited about being a full son and a partner in the business. Maybe he's going, Dad, this is too much responsibility for me. Couldn't you just give me an allowance and I'll give 10 of it to God? Right? Right? about you? You grown up yet? Can God trust you with all that? Are you still act in faith and honor? Or do you need someone to take you by the hand and tell you how to do your money? You understand what he's saying in that passage. So, in chapter 5, just a little bit later, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, he didn't free us from the constraints of the law just so we could do whatever we want. He freed us from the constraints of the law so that we could grow up and be led by the Spirit. That's why you are not required to either tithe or sell your house. 
because you get to be led by the Spirit. It is, I think, a greater responsibility than just having to tithe. Are you with me? So, pastor, you're not helping me. I still don't know how much I'm supposed to give. I don't know either. Go be led by the Spirit. I can narrow it down for you. Based on the Bible, I can tell you it's somewhere between 10% and the value of your house. It's all the Bible I got on that. You with me? So you see the intentions of God's heart. You have graduated to the law of sowing and reaping. Have at it. Have fun. You and the Holy Spirit work it out. I ain't worried. I'm just going to, you know, we'll pay the bills with the money we got. Uh, we have money, we'll hire staff. If we don't have money, we won't hire staff. I ain't worried. It's God's problem. You don't be worried either. Amen? All right. So, that's enough for the generosity principle, I think. Let's move on. Now, the third principle that God talks about tied to money is faithfulness. So, we've, we've talked about a work ethic. We've talked about generosity, sowing and reaping. Now, we're going to talk about faithfulness. And where this comes in is the understanding that it all comes from God, which means it all is God's. Remember, he said he gives us seed for sowing and bread for eating. It all came from him anyway, right? And so we are just stewards, and not just stewards of money. We're stewards of everything he's given us, our time, our resources, our money. Those kids that you call your kids, those are really God's kids. He just loaned them to you, and you're supposed to do what he wants with them, right? You guys understand that. We're stewards. And so it's the same with our money. And he talks about this. In Luke chapter 16, he says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. In other words, what we do in small amounts, we're going to tend to do in big amounts, right? Because it's the heart, not the amount, it's the principle. So, uh, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, that's money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? We'll talk about that in a minute. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And we talked about that last week, that passage in a different place, about how you cannot serve God and money. So let's look at some things that come out of this. First of all, he's saying, look, I want to give you what's your own. God wants to reward the stewardship of his resources that he's given you with your own stuff. He wants to reward you. He's just like that young man. He goes, I, I want you to be in the family business. I want to give you this division. I want to give you some stuff that's your own. But I, I need to see how you handle my stuff before I give you your stuff, right? So that's what he's saying when he says, uh, if you've not been faithful as what, what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? God wants to give you resources for yourself. Just do what you want with them. Maybe just enjoy them. Maybe you, know, maybe you get a vacation house and you just let missionaries stay there every once in a while. Stuff like that. He'll probably think that's a great idea. Right? The other thing is, it's clear, one, that he's talking about money in this. And it's clear that he calls money the least of these things. Now, as faithfulness goes, you need to understand this. 
This is not a deep, heavy spiritual concept. Money is the first grade of faithfulness. This is first grade, guys. Catch this. Jesus is saying, this is the least thing I can give you is money. That's the least valuable thing I have to offer you is money. If you haven't been faithful in the least in unrighteous mammon, how am I going to commit to you true riches, right? So this is the first grade of faithfulness. What are these true riches? What do you think the true riches God has might be? Any ideas? Nations, joy, people, all kinds of stuff, isn't there? What are you after? But we have to prove ourselves faithful in the least because he was faithful in what is least is faithful in much. He was unjust in what is least unjust in much. If we don't get first grade, we don't move on to high school, right? We don't get true riches if we can't even handle money. You understand? So, uh, I don't want to miss out on true riches because I can't let go of a fistful of dollars because I don't have enough faith to trust God and to honor Him with my money. Just kind of being blunt here, but be free. You aren't required to do anything. Amen? Now, we'll give you a couple hints. Uh, I think the true riches can mean all kinds of things. I think it can be the things that we're praying for, just, you know, anointing to heal and, uh, you know, understanding in the Word and things like that. It can be all kinds of things. But there are at least two places where I think he hits on this. In Matthew 25, he tells us the parable of the talents, and very similarly in Luke 19, uh, the parable of the minus. Both of these are denominations of money. So he takes money and he makes a point with it. In, in Matthew 25, in the parable of the talents, he gives three guys money, uh, one of them five talents, one of them two, and one of them one. And the one that uh, he gives the five to invests it and gets five more, when he comes back, he goes, look, I invested it and, I, and, it, and it multiplied and I have five more. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You be ruler over many things. You were faithful in a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. In the parable of the minus, he gives them each one minus. One of them turns into ten. One of them turns into five. Of course, there's the one that doesn't do anything. And on each of the ones that turned it into something else, the one that turned it into ten, he says, good job. You were faithful in a little thing. I will make you, I will give you authority over ten cities. Have you not read that we are kings and priests to our God and we will reign in the earth? To the one who turned it into five. I will give you authority over five cities. Guys, God wants to give us authority. Authority. Authority to heal the sick. Authority in his word. Authority over cities. Authority to raise children in godliness and righteousness. We got to get past first grade and just learn to be faithful, to be led by the Spirit, to give, to be generous, to be faithful. Just do what He says. Just trust Him. Money is where we get to find out if we really trust God. Amen? So, there you have it. Do what you want, it's your money. I won't know. I won't care. I'll just pay the bills with whatever we got in the checking account.
Amen. Do, do you feel simultaneously free and very responsible? All right, good. So here's what I want to do. Man, we got a lot of time left. Uh, I want to invite the band back up. And I was thinking about this. Now, uh, you guys, I, I love, for example, that we don't have to pass the plates and remind you, you guys bring your tithes and offerings, or some of you do it online through PayPal. Um, I love that you guys are faithful and do that. I, I love this, you know, when, when COVID hit three years ago, or whenever it was, and we, we shut down for eight weeks, right? And uh, I said, you know what? Uh, Gary and I were talking. I said, I'm not going to say anything about money. I'm just going to see what happens. This is an excellent test, see how our people are doing. And what I loved was uh, our, our offering stayed about 80% normal. Uh, people just, yeah, good job. I'm like, this is good. Our people are pretty good. They've read their Bibles. They understand how this works. They're just bringing their money. You know, they're mailing it in or doing whatever. And so we did fine. People got paid. And uh, we, did, we did fine that year. And so I know that most of you are mature and, and kind of get what I'm saying. Right? So what that tells me is maybe, um, you know, this is a good time to go, hey, God, we've been... You know, we did COVID, and, and the pastor didn't starve. Uh, we've been doing this sowing and reaping and being generous thing. How about, how about that uh, true riches? I've been believing for this or this or this. So this morning, let's, let's go. You've been doing this, right? Why have you been doing this? You've been being generous. You've been stuff people don't even know about. You know, I love how a needle will come up in a house church, and the house church will just take care of it. It never even comes to church. It's how we took care of it. We just bought that thing they needed, right? People are being generous. So let's ask for the true riches. So what I want to do, we're going to go back into worship for a few minutes, and I want to invite the ministry team to come up. And uh, you can come and get prayer. You can just come to the altar and ask God. You can get the person next to you to pray. I don't care. But uh, let's go ahead and go, God, uh, we are being generous. We are uh, trying to be faithful. I'm doing what you've told me to do with my money. Uh, Lord, I'm believing you for authority to heal the sick, or I'm believing you for authority to preach the gospel out there and see the lost get saved, or whatever. Let's ask for those true riches this morning. See what God will do. Amen? That's how it works. He enjoys rewarding us. Maybe all we need to do is ask. So, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, a people that love you, that honor you, that have faith towards you, and Lord, that are showing it by their generosity, uh, with their time and their resources, and in so many ways. And so this morning, Lord, uh, Lord, we just ask for the reward, for the blessing. Uh, Lord, uh, again, not just so that we'll be happy, Lord, so that we'll advance your kingdom, so that the family business grows, so that the increase of your government in the earth continues. Lord, we want the family business to prosper. We want souls. We want the sick healed. We want uh, people set free. We want authority to speak your word and demons leave people and they're different. Lord, we ask for all of that this morning, that you would pour out authority through your people so that the, the family business can go forth and prosper. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Amen.